I want to begin this morning with a question. Have you ever gotten away with something, something really bad? Have you ever gotten away with something really bad? I mean, something that you should have gotten in trouble for, but you didn't, and you got away scot-free. You ever been there? Now, we're in church, and this is a place where we can all be honest, because there's brothers and sisters around us, right? We've all been there, haven't we? When we've done something wrong, okay, maybe not, maybe not recently, but there's been a time in your life when you, no matter who you are, has done something that deserved punishment that you got away with. For me, a lot of those times revolved around potato guns and late night doorbell ringing. I apologize <laughs> to the people in Richmond Hill for my teens. <laughs> That's all of our story, isn't it? We've all had that time in our life when we should have been punished because we were guilty of doing something or being part of some event, some action, some episode that should have warranted punishment, but instead we got away. I want to change the question a little bit and ask, have you ever gotten caught doing something that you thought you'd gotten away with? You ever been caught doing something that you thought you'd gotten away with? Like you'd cover your tracks well enough, you did it in, on the dark enough night, or you were sneaky enough about whatever it was that you were doing. Have you ever gotten caught doing something that you thought you'd gotten away with? You know, we're in the middle of a series um, based loosely off of the show Duck Dynasty. And there's a, an episode in the series um, with the Robertson clan um, that has just this sort of episode happening. Willie, who's the CEO of the family business, Duck Commander, he gets a gift from a friend overseas. And that gift is this incredible samurai sword. I mean, and Willie is so proud. He's got this samurai sword. He's always dreamed of being a ninja, and now he can wear his samurai sword around the office. And so the first thing he does with his samurai sword is he walks into the duck call room where his older brother Jace works and where his crazy uncle Cy works. Now, we all have a crazy uncle, and the crazy uncle in this family, the Robertson family, is crazy uncle Cy. And so Willie's in the duck call room, and he's sort of parading around with his new samurai sword, and he's pulling it out, and he's waving it around, and he's pretending like he's slashing and cutting things. And he looks at the guys in the duck call room, and he says, you know what, guys, I love, I love this gift, and it's a gift from a dear friend. And so this is off limits. Do not touch my samurai sword. Do not touch this sword that I've gotten from a friend. And he puts the sword back inside the sheath. And Willie walks out of the room because he has a meeting to go to across town. And Jace inside just are beside themselves. It takes about five minutes for them to devise a plan about how to get the samurai sword out of Willie's office so that they too can partake in the slashing and cutting. And so what do they do? They sneak out of the duck call room because nobody likes to work anyways. They sneak out of the duck call room and they go into Willie's office and they steal the sword. And before you know it, all of those guys in the duck call room 
are throwing fruit up in the air so they can slash it. I mean, there's cantaloupe being split in two, and there's watermelons, watermelons being shattered, and, and they're eating pineapples that they've all sliced up with this samurai sword. And Uncle Sai, crazy Uncle Sai, gets this idea. He says, I'm going to do something that nobody else has done. And he gets his ham sandwich for lunch. This little, these, these two pieces of white Shirley Wonder Bread um, with a piece of ham stuck in the middle and some mayonnaise on it. And he takes this ham sandwich and he sets it down on what looks like a piece of a telephone pole that's been cut off. He sets it on top of there and he takes that samurai sword. Now, if you don't know anything about samurai swords, samurai swords are designed for poking like this or for slicing like this. Um, they are not made to hit things. You're not supposed to hit anything other than somebody with a samurai sword. Well, Sai lines up that ham sandwich just right, and he pulls that sword out of the sheath, and he swings as hard as he can, and he slices the sandwich in two. But the blade of that sword kept traveling, and it hit that piece of telephone pole. And the next thing you know, Sai has this shocked the shocked look on his face as he's holding the handle to the sword and the blade is laying on the ground. What has Sai done? He's broken the sword. He's broken Willie's prize, made him feel like a ninja sword. And so they devise a plan. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to cover up the fact that we have broken the sword? Well, they decided, all right, we'll try tape. Well, the tape, you can't you can't tape two pieces of metal together. Well, epoxy, epoxy will stick things together. Well, you can't use epoxy to do that. Surely someone will see that you've epoxied this metal sword together. So they think, ah, another idea. Can't use tape, can't use epoxy. We'll go to the pawn shop and get a replacement samurai sword. Willie will never know the difference. Well, it turns out the pawn shop sold out of samurai swords. <laughs> sold out of samurai swords. So they decide, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll weld it back together. And so they have this beautifully, this beautifully made blade, and there they are with their welding masks on, getting ready to crudely fashion these two pieces of metal back together, and they do, and they hide the sword inside the sheath, and they carry that sheath and sword back into Willie's office, and they lay it right back where they found it. Well, they think they're in the clear. That's how the story goes. They think they're in the clear until the end of the day, when Willie and his daughter Sadie come into the office to say goodbye to Jason Willie because the day's over. And Sadie asks Willie, Sadie, Willie's daughter, who's about 14, asks Willie, you know, can, can I see your, your gift from a friend, that samurai sword you keep talking about? And Willie's so proud. He's just so proud. Walks back in the office, retrieves the sword, comes back, hands it to his daughter. And she takes that, that sword and she pulls it out. And when she gets about a quarter of the way out, guess what happens? handle breaks off the sword and Willie his face is just he's shocked he's incredibly shocked and the first thing that comes out of Jace and Sai's mouth is Sadie <laughs> but they couldn't let Sadie take the fall and so they own up the jig was up anyways they own up to the fact that they had broken Willie's prized Sword, they thought they could get away with it. They thought they could get away scot-free, but they got caught. The text that you heard read this morning is the moment when David got caught, when all the lies and all the manipulations that he used to cover up his tracks were brought 
to light with Nathan's famous declaration, you are that man. You are that man. You remember what happened, don't you? You remember the episode leading up to this moment in David's life that in the spring of the year when kings go off to the war, David sent his best man, Joab, to go fight his own battles. Good kings go out to battle, but David decides to stay at home neglecting his day job. David has time for an afternoon stroll on his roof, and he sees this woman on the roof down from the palace bathing, who's married to Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to her. This is chapter 11, verse 4, if you're interested. 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And then Bathsheba goes home. That's it. There's no love story to to go along with this. There's no indication that David has any desire for an ongoing relationship with Bathsheba. And then Bathsheba sends a messenger back to David with two words that teach David the absolute limits of his power. Do you know what those two words are? I'm pregnant. Those two words detonate an explosive chain reaction. If David can't control the pregnancy, he can at least control who people think the father is. So what does David do? He sends for Uriah, who's out fighting with Joab on the front lines of the war. He says, he says to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet, David tells him. That is, sleep with your wife so you and everyone else will think that you're the father of this child that's already on the way. But Uriah, he won't do that. David insists but Uriah still won't go. David gets Uriah intoxicated, and even when Uriah is drunk, Uriah the Hittite won't go down to his house. And the contrast here is absolutely unmistakable. Uriah the Hittite refuses the comforts of his own home when the ark and the troops are out in the field. But David the king who should be following the ark and leading those troops. Instead, he's back in the palace praying on the homes and the bodies and the marriages of his subjects. David can't control the acts of a righteous man, but David is the king, and David can have him killed. So the chain reaction continues, more frightening than ever. Neglecting royal duties leads to adultery that leads to lies that lead to murder. It's enough to turn the stomach of Joab, this hardened warrior who's out in the field. And David actually has to tell Joab that it's going to be fine for you to murder this guy. He says, don't let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Adultery adultery leads... To lying leads to murder, leads to now calling evil good, or at least inevitable. David, if you let him at this point in his life, would write the whole law of God. But David does not get the last word in this story. God does. God gets the last word in this story through his prophet Nathan. Don't you find it comical? 
in the text that Francois read this morning, the way that David loses his cool when he hears about this rich man who prays on the poor man and steals, steals his lamb. He even says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall, re- he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David, in the words of Shakespeare, methinks thou dost protest too much. As we acknowledged earlier, we've all been there with David, haven't we? We've all been there caught, red-handed, when we've hurt, when we've broken, when we've abused or shamed others, when we've preyed upon others' vulnerability, when we've taken what wasn't ours to take in the first place because we wanted it and sometimes, at least in our minds, might makes right. We've all been there. And the greatest tragedy of all is that most of us don't have a Nathan in our lives. And most of us, we don't ever get caught. We get away. Sometimes we don't have to pay up for the ways that we've fallen short. And that can give us the sense that you and I are above the law. I think that's exactly the way that David must have felt. That he was above the law, that no one could figure out what he had done. But God sees what no one else can, what the people around us, even those who are closest to us, can't see. God sees the inner workings of our hearts. He sees our moments of greatest triumph, our moments of great faithfulness, and he sees our moments of great faithlessness and great failure in the moments when we all fall so incredibly short. And it's in those moments when the words of 1 John 1.8 ring so loud and so clear that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. No one, not a single one of us in this room, myself included, is without sin. We're all just as guilty as David. We may not have committed murder or adultery, but we've all lied, we've all cheated, we've all stolen, we've all abused. We've all used our own power to hurt the weak, to hurt the vulnerable, We're all just as guilty as David. But do you know what sets David apart? Do you know what makes David a man after God's own heart in spite of the ways that he's fallen short? Do you know what sets him apart? What sets him apart is that when he's confronted with his sin, When he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, instead of denying everything, instead of having Nathan killed, which he surely could have done because he's the king, instead of continuing to lie and manipulate and perpetrate actions that would just drive him deeper into sin, David confesses. David owns up to what he's done. 
Instead of covering up his sin, David confesses his sin. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And because he confesses his sin, God spares his life. Now hear me out. God does not take away the consequences of his sin. The child that was born to Bathsheba dies. And there's sickness and famine in the land. And the sword never leaves David's family, he'll be a warrior his whole life. But God spares his life. And God offers him grace and a chance to start all the way over again. If you read 1 John 1.8, you hear those words that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if you read verse 9 of that text, the very next verse it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. You know, I don't know what it is that you're covering up this morning. I don't know what it is that you might be hiding. I don't know what that terrible secret is or that episode in your mind or in your heart that weighs so heavily upon you this morning. I don't know what your sin is. I certainly don't know what your secrets are, but I do know that you and I have hurt others. I do know that you and I are all guilty and that we all need the opportunity to confess our sins so that we as God's people can receive the forgiveness of God and become the people that God is calling us to be. It's the only way, confession, it's the only way It's the only way that we can receive forgiveness in a new start. We can't live into the future and the hope that God has for us unless we are willing to bear our souls before the God who created us. In order for us to be God's people, we must confess so that we can receive a new start and a new chance at life. All of this is made available to us through Jesus Christ who lived with us, died for us, and rose that we might have life. God himself is the one who reconciles us to himself, but it's up to us to confess that we've done wrong, that we might receive forgiveness Turn from our past and walk into the future that God has for us. Now at this point in the sermon, we could all walk out of here and nothing could change. But what I want you to do this morning, what I want to do this morning is invite you to a moment of confession where we as God's people will recognize together that we have fallen short of God's high calling on our lives and on our church. But the beauty is, we as God's people and we as God's church can have a new start. So this morning we'll pray this prayer of confession that's inside of your bulletins together out loud.
Then we'll have a moment of silence for you to think about those sins you yourself might need to confess. Then you'll hear the pardon. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. We confess our sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We have a chance at a new start, at a new day, at a new life in Christ, where we love, where we restore, where we build up instead of tear down. Today is a new day.